0: This is Dr. Benny Tate, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this week's message at Rock Springs Church. Wherever you are, I hope this message encourages you and helps you grow in your walk with God. Here's this week's message from Rock Springs Church. Look what the scripture says in John. It says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, while it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) By the way, John's writing this. He said, I'm the one he loved. And saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. Look. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. John's letting you know I won the race. Amen. And came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down looking in saw the linen clothes lying. Yet when he not in then come of Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and see if the linen clothes lie. And the napkin, that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow our heads and our hearts in your presence, Would you speak to us and through us? And God, for all you do, we're going to give you glory, honor, and praise. For I pray this prayer in Jesus' lovely name. Until you come, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about why is Easter such a big deal? Why is Easter... Such a big deal. Why do eight out of ten Americans, eight out of every ten Americans, celebrate Easter? Why is three point two seven billion spent on clothing for Easter? Why does forty-eight percent, almost one out of every two, gets a new outfit for Easter? We spend a lot on clothing. Hey, we spend a lot on candy. Do you realize that $21.6 billion will be spent on candy this year? $180 million will be spent on Easter eggs, the clothing, the candy, but then the community. Families are get together. We'll have big meals, and we'll have egg hunts, and we'll have the candy, and we'll have the clothing, and we'll have the colors, and We'll have the community. I'll tell you what I really think, though. I, I think we're like the little girl who went to church on Palm Sunday. And the teacher asked the class, does anybody know what today is? And the one little girl said, I do. It's Palm Sunday. Teacher said, that's exactly right. She said, Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. The teacher said, you're so correct. She said, does anybody know what next Sunday is? <laughs> Sally said, I do. Same little girl. It's Easter. She said, Sally, you're exactly right. What happened on Easter? Sally said, Jesus came out of the grave. She said, Sally, that's exactly right. And then Sally said, but if he sees his shadow, he's got to go back for six weeks. (laughs) See, I believe sometimes we know about the clothing of Easter, the community, the candy, the colors, but not any of that is what Easter is really all about. Easter is really all about the Christ of Easter. It's about the Christ of Easter. I want you to understand something. In 33 AD, Jesus Christ died on a cross. And in 33 AD, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he had around 120 followers. Today, 2.3 billion One out of every three people on the planet say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Christianity is larger than China, Europe, and America all put together? It's massive. Literally one out of every three people. Why is it so big? Because the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. Do you you realize Jesus Christ split history in two? (laughs) He split history in two. That's why we have B.C. And you know, we have A.D. Well, what does A.D. mean? It means in the year of our Lord. You say, I'm not into this Christianity stuff. Every time you write 2021, you're saying you are. Every time you date something, you're saying you are. Because everything before and everything after dates back to Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want to to take just a little while, just a little while. But I want to talk to you about Easter reality. I want to talk to you about the fact that it is a reality. And then I want to talk to you about relevance, Easter relevance, relevance. It's one thing to know that it happened. But at the end of the day, people want to know, why is it relevant to me? Why is it such a big deal to me? How does it relate to me? I want you to see six or seven things real quick. Number one, I, I want you to see the stone. I want you to see the soldiers, excuse me, the soldiers, See, you've got to understand something. Jesus Christ had been crucified. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. You say, well, why didn't he buy him a tomb? He was only going to need it three days. Amen? Amen. So they, they, they put him in a borrowed tomb. And when they put him in the borrowed tomb, the chief priest and the Pharisees met. You can read about it in Matthew 27. Verse 63 through verse 66. They met and they said this. They said, now we need to keep in mind, this Jesus said that three days after his death, he was going to resurrect. And we want to make sure the disciples don't come, his disciples, and steal his body. So what we're going to do, we're going to put a Roman guard unit at the tomb. That literally, ladies and gentlemen, is 16 soldiers. And four soldiers would stand stand in front of the tomb. And where there being 16 soldiers, they would rotate. That way there was always somebody awake. They would rotate every four hours. And they said, we got to make sure the soldiers seal the tomb. Something happened because when Mary came to the tomb, there were no soldiers there. You say, well, what happened? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, it says, And when they were going, behold, some of the watch, some of those soldiers came into the city and showed the chief priest the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto them soldiers. And they said, Say ye, his disciples came by night. Tuck the body away while you slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. What he was saying, Men, Men, you could lose your life over losing this body. So you've got to say that you slept and Jesus' disciples came and got this body. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Now let me tell you something. I wasn't raised to be a preacher. My family's not a preaching family. My family would be more of a prison family. We're not, nobody in our family has ever preached before or after. I'm just it. I'm it. And let me tell you something. When I was coming along, I never wanted to be a preacher, I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't want to save them, I wanted to sue them. I really did. And when I looked at this, I took it. From a lawyer's point of view. Now think about this. Sixteen soldiers. Sixteen soldiers. Do you really believe that all of them were asleep? Do you believe that they all would have slept through the commotion of the disciples still in the body? There's a second argument I'd have if I was in a courtroom. This is the second argument. If all of you were asleep... How do you know who tucked the body? And the third argument I would give, do you really think if they came and tucked the body, they would have undressed it and taken the clothes off? I see the soldiers, but then I move to the stone. See the stone that would have been in front of the grave would have weighed between one and a half and two tons. It would have taken better than 20 men to have moved the stone. But the Bible says in John 20 and 21, it says the stone was taken away. The indication there is it was not just rolled away. Somebody picked the massive stone up and moved it. (laughs) It was an act of God. I see the soldiers. I see the stone. But then there's a third thing I see. I see the shroud. The shroud. See, when Jesus was prepared for burial, they wrapped his body up like a mummy. He was just wrapped like a mummy. But look what verse 5 says. It says, and stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. The connotation there is the clothes were neatly lying, wrapped as if a body had just slipped out. Not torn in pieces, but neatly lying as if the body had slipped out. And then verse 7 says this, it says, and the napkin, that was about his head, was lying with the linen clothes, wrapped together in a place by itself. You've got to understand, the linen clothes were there, and then the napkin was here by itself. Jewish tradition is, if you have a meal, And you finish the meal. So the waiter knows you're finished with the meal. When you finish your meal, you take the napkin and you wad it up and you put it on your plate. But perchance, you're not finished. You take the napkin if you're going to the restroom, hypothetically. You take the napkin if you're not finished and you wrap it up neatly and you put it On the corner of your plate. So when the waiter comes, he sees the napkin neatly folded. He knows you're not finished, he knows you're coming back. (laughs) Jesus neatly folded the napkin around the head because it was a sign to every one of us He's not finished, He's coming back. There's a fourth thing I see. I see the scars. I see the scars. I think there's a message in the scars. When we get to heaven, the only thing there that's been made by man will be the scars in the hands of Jesus. Thomas was a doubter. And the Bible says that Jesus one day came to the disciples In the resurrected body. Let me remind you ladies and gentlemen. He walked around for 40 days in the resurrected body. He walked around in a resurrected body. But Thomas said. I can't believe. Unless I rub the scars in his hands. I can't believe. Unless I see his ribbon side. Eight days later. The scripture tells us in John 20, Jesus comes and he says, Thomas, see my hands. Thomas, see my side. And Thomas says, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I believe there's a message there for us. I believe the message is this Jesus said, I went through a tough time, I've got some scars. But I made it. And I want to say to you, some of you this Easter, you're going through a tough time. And my heart goes out for you. And you've got some scars. But I want you to know something. You're going to make it. I want you to know you're going to make it through. You're going to, you're going to make it through. You may, God didn't say we wouldn't get some scars. God never promised us a smooth flight. He did promise us a safe landing. You may get some scars, but you just hang in there. Let me tell you the fifth thing I see. The sidings. As I say, Jesus walked around for 40 days. 1 Corinthians 15 and 6 says this. He was seen of better than 500 people on one occasion. It's documented That 516 people saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. They saw him. Now here's what I want you to understand. A hundred times the New Testament recorded that he arose. Can you imagine, folks, if you go to trial and you've got 516 witnesses who said, I saw him. He lives. There's the sixth thing I want you to see: the sudden courage. Now wait, Jesus goes to the cross. What are the disciples doing? Well, the Bible tells us, they were assembled for fear. They were scared to death. Peter, you know, we give Peter a bad rap. We give Peter a bad rap about a lot of things. Peter walked on the water, and we say, well, you know, Peter failed. (laughs) I've always admired him. He got out of the boat. I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker, amen? He got out of the boat. (laughs) And we give him a tough time, and we say, Peter denied the Lord. But you're not reading the Bible. Matthew 26 and 56 says this. All the disciples forsook him and fled. Now wait. What made all the difference? Why just a few days later were these men willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ? Why did a few days later Peter say, crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was. What created that courage? I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what created that courage. They had seen the risen Savior. They had seen the risen Savior. Let me give you the last one, and I'm almost finished with this part. (laughs) My daughter Savannah was about this high, and it may have been Easter, and a little girl who didn't go to church came to church with Savannah. And I was preaching. And I said, in conclusion. And that little girl said to Savannah Abigail, what does it mean when your daddy says, in conclusion? And Savannah said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the supernatural growth. Let me give you something to think about. When Jesus was here, Read Acts 115. He had 120. Jesus would have had. Jesus would have had kind of like that section right in there. Uh, no, he would have had better than that. He would have had a better section than that section. Maybe this section right here. <laughs> I'm kidding. But he had 120. But what happened? What happened? Well, read, read the scripture. In Acts 2.41, 3,000 became believers. Later in Acts 4 and 4, 5,000. Do you realize, folks, the two, first 200 years of Christendom, Christianity grew at an 800% growth rate. It became the official religion of Rome in 300 years. Why? Because a Savior had risen. Now, you get this. I'll see the resurrection reality. But here, here's what I want you to see. The resurrection relevance. Because at the end of the day, all this celebration, how is it relevant to me? Sally, a little girl, said to her daddy, Dad, I want to ask you something. When you take a bite of an apple, why does it turn brown?" He said, oh, the atmospheric air oxidizes and changes the molecular structure. She said, Daddy, are you talking to me? (laughs) Now, see, we've got to understand, how is it relevant to me? Was the resurrection relevant to me? Let me give you four reasons why it's so relevant. Number one, our past can be forgiven. Your past can be forgiven. God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. Jesus didn't come to rub your sins in. He came to rub them out. And the resurrection says that God is willing to forgive your sins. See, folks, we've all sinned and come show the glory of God. We've all sinned and come show the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And Jesus died for your sins and for my sins. How do we know that God accepted that sacrifice? Look what the Bible says. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the Son of God. Wait. How do we know that he was the Son of God? Because he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you ever think about this? Why was the first person to see the empty tomb? You know who it was? It was a woman. It was a woman. I don't know if God didn't trust a man but he was a woman and you know who it was it was Mary of Magdalene she was from Magdala you know what Magdala was famous for prostitution it was believed that she was probably a prostitute I don't know that but I'll tell you what I do know for sure According to Luke chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus cast seven devils out of her. Here's what I know. God was saying to us, my son has come for all people. He saves from the uttermost to the guttermost. You can't be so bad that you can't get saved. You can't be so bad that God won't forgive you. You can't do so much that God won't take away your sins. Easter reminds us that our past can be forgiven. But I'll tell you something else. Easter reminds us that our problems can be overcome. You know what I know? I got problems. You got problems. All God's children got problems. Amen? How many of you got a problem? Sure. How many of you are seated right beside you? Sure. Sure. The good news is, whatever your problem is, it can be overcome. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, wait. The spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave dwells within us. And that tells me, ladies and gentlemen, you can overcome anything in your life through the power of the resurrection. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. I want you to know, you said, Pastor Benny, our marriage is dead. Jesus was too. (laughs) My career's dead. Jesus was too. My vision's dead. Oh, Jesus was too. My, my desire for life is dead. Jesus was too, but it's a reminder as he overcame, you can overcome also. I want, you, I want you to understand something. That doesn't have to be a noose around your neck. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome that. Whatever that is in your life. Why is the resurrection so relevant? It's because our past can be forgiven. Our problems can be overcome. But I'll give you something else. Our prayers can be answered. Do you ever think about this? Had he not resurrected, our prayers would be vanity. But look, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Our prayers are answered because Jesus was resurrected. Now, let me say this. A little boy said to his mom and dad one day, he said, I'd like a brother or sister. And they said, You got to pray. And he prayed one month and two months and three months, and he stopped. Six months passed, and Dad said, get in the car, let's go. And he takes him down to the hospital. And they get down to the hospital, and Mom's in the room. And they pull the curtain back, and she's holding a little baby. And they pull it a little more, and she's holding another baby. And they pull the curtain a little more, and she's holding a third baby. Dad looked over at that son and said, Aren't you glad you prayed? He said, Yeah. And aren't you glad I stopped after three months? (laughs) Here's what I know because of the resurrection, your past can be forgiven, no matter what you've done. Because of the resurrection, your problems can be overcome. Because of the resurrection, our prayers can be answered. Let me tell you lastly, because of the resurrection, our passing can be with confidence. Our passing can be with confidence. I realize that uh, this year, a lot of people have lost people. I'm conscientious of that. I'm conscientious of that but it's more of a reminder that I thank God for the resurrection. See, let me explain something to you and I'm almost done. If you get finished before I do, just slip out. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 20, this is what the Bible says, but now Christ. He's risen from the dead. He's the first fruits of them that sleep. Now, to read over that, it doesn't mean too much, but you've got to understand the Israeli climate was agriculture, and the first fruits, what they would do when they planted a crop, hypothetically, they planted a corn crop. The first two or three ears of corn that was produced, that family would take those ears And they would go to the temple. And that priest would take those ears of corn and he would wave it. He was saying, this is the first fruits of the crop. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for it. But he would wave it. And that was his way of saying, there's more to come. There's more to come out of the field. You got to understand something. Jesus was the first fruit. He was the first resurrection from the dead. And what he was saying, because I rose, you can also. Because I, because I have victory over death held in the grave, your loved ones can also. Your loved ones can also. Woody Allen said, uh, I, I'm not worried about dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But reality is we're going to be there when it happens. And that's why our confidence has to be in Jesus Christ. It has to be in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me tell you. You said, Pastor Benny, what, what, do you, what do you recommend we do in this climate? I'll tell you what I did. In the midst of it all, I praised God. I prayed, I peer out. but I didn't panic because my confidence is in Jesus Christ. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. I want to give you one scripture, and I promise I'm done. I promise I'm done with this scripture. Found in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 15, and when the sixth hour was come, what was the sixth hour? It was 12 o'clock, noonday. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from six to three, pitch dark. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my god why have you forsaken me why did he say that at three o'clock on good friday my god my god why have you forsaken me because you got to understand something at three o'clock your sins and my sins were placed on jesus and god had to do something he had to turn his back on his son Why? Habakkuk tells us. Because God's of pure eyes than to look on iniquity. God turned His back on His Son at the moment our sin was placed on Jesus. God turned His back. Get this. God turned His back on His Son so He'd never have to turn His back on you. God turned his back on his son, so he'd never have to turn his back on you and me. Pastor, why did at 12 o'clock, noonday, why did it get dark? Think about this. What is hell? It's outer darkness. What is hell? It's excruciating pain. What is hell? It's separation from God. Jesus was saying, I'm taking your hell, so you never have to go to hell. I'm taking your hell, so you never have to go to hell. Just for a moment, every heads bowed and every eyes closed. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Rock Springs Church. If you would like more information about Rock Springs, be sure to follow us on social media or connect with us at rockspringsonline.com. Join us right here next week for another message from Rock Springs Church.